Hi there, my name is Pamela and I breed British Shorthair Cats in Perth, Western Australia. I've been breeding and exhibiting my cats since 2004 and I'm even a cat show judge. I'm passionate about the cat fancy and I want to share my knowledge and experiences with you so that you can enjoy your hobby as much as I do. That's what the Cat Breeding for Beginners podcast is all about. In this series, I'm taking a moment to answer some of the most regular cat breeding questions I get asked every day. Hopefully the answers will help you too. I'm also covering some topics that are important to new cat breeders so that you can start out on the right foot. Some of the episodes are scripted and some of them are off the cuff. The audio is both good and bad. But the main thing is the information and I'm sharing it in whatever way I can with you in mind. It's a bit of a rainy day here um, today in Perth and I'm sitting here with Petey and Teddy who are sitting here on the bed and I thought I'd take a moment to do a podcast for you. The topic I want to talk about today is rescue cats and it's something that if you've been breeding for a while or involved in the cat fancy for a while, it will come up that um, you will know a little bit about rescue and many of us have done some form of rescue as well. Now sometimes people come into the cat fancy with a background in rescue um, but a lot of the times people see rescue work and the cat fancy as two polar opposites because people doing rescue are trying to find homes and trying to take care of and rescue cats that are unwanted and their their thing is that they want to stop um, cats giving birth to more cats because they've got not enough homes for the cats that they have in rescue and that's a very noble cause and I fully support that and I fully agree that uh, cats as much as possible should be stopped from reproducing on their own especially here in Australia. We have issues with wildlife being taken by feral cats and feral cats come from domestic cats. So domestic cats also do a lot of damage to wildlife as well. And I have a problem with that. And um, it's one of the reasons why as a breeder, I make everybody that um, gets a kitten from me sign an agreement, a contract that we have between the two of us. And part of that contract is that the cat lives an inside life. I'm happy for them to go out into enclosures. Um, I do know a lot of my owners do take them out for little walks or things when they're in their yard, but I'm really strongly against cats just being able to come and go and um, damage wildlife and also be annoying to other people. So rescue people really don't want cats to be giving birth, basically. They have enough to look after, they have enough to deal with, and um, if there wasn't cats giving birth, then they wouldn't have to deal with what they deal with. So they have a different perspective to a cat breeder. As a cat breeder, we're bringing cats into the world that are very specific. They're a specific type of cat, they're a specific breed of cat, and they're for a specific audience. They're for people who want that particular cat. And that particular cat, then we can say to them that we want it to be kept in certain ways. And the very biggest thing that we can do is that we can desex them before they go to their new homes. I, um, I'm a huge advocate for early desexing. I've early desexed my cats from the first litter that I bred. I have, um, I think I've only had one go to, or two go to a pet home without being desexed. 
One was to my sister-in-law and the other one was to um, a home because he had, um, he was a massive kitten, but he hadn't got his um, testicles down yet. So he had to come back for desexing a bit later. But that's the only time that, that I've ever let kittens go without being desexed. I think, I mean, I've been breeding for a long time and I can't think of any other examples. I think my mother-in-law, um, when they got their kitten from us, I even early desexed that one. So I really, really strongly believe that that's a really great thing to do. And in the state that I live in, it's actually um, the law that cats have to be desexed before they're sold when you're a breeder. So in that respect, we're really trying to stop um, that reproduction and that issue that people have in rescue, that there's just too many cats and kittens for them to rescue and um they need to stop the tide every spring of, of kittens, the wave of kittens that are born that have no homes. So we don't often um, meet in the middle uh, as to what our ideologies are on both sides. But what I try to do is I try to keep a very open mind and I try to, um, I try to show that we are actually very much um, on the same page even though you wouldn't think that we would be, but we are. And what I've known in the cat fancy is that a lot of people come into the cat fancy and they actually have a background um, in rescue in some way, shape or form. Now, a lot of us have had cats over our lifetimes, have had cats that have just rocked up at your house and decided that they lived there. A lot of people have taken in strays. A lot of people that come into the cat fancy have pet cats before they start breeding who are domestic cats and those domestic cats have either come from rescue um, or they've just you know arrived at their house as I said before uh, they've inherited them in some way shape or form but those cats are not pedigree cats they're cats that are the situation where they would be rescue cats and then a lot of us breeders have also been involved in rescue as we've gone along the way and I um, personally was um, have helped out with a few different things in that regard. Um, I've sometimes helped out by um, if a, I can remember the rescue group that I um, follow a lot had um, a big tomcat come in and um, I donated the money to have him desexed. Um, I've donated money to them as well. I've been donating to them a lot. So I take stuff to them, to their um, op shops, and I donate when I have extra food that I've won at cat shows or um, products I've won at cat shows that I don't necessarily need to use. I'll take them to my local rescue group. And along the way, though, a lot of breeders have rescued cats, and sometimes they may have been pedigree cats, and sometimes they may have been domestic cats. And unfortunately, one of the situations or scenarios that comes up, and this will you'll be exposed to this at some point as a new breeder, is that other breeders are sometimes, they are just awful, awful. You know, people can breed cats, um, they can just breed cats. It's a bit like people having kids. Anyone can have kids and there are great parents and there are hor horrendous parents. And it's the same with cat breeding. There are really great people, but there are horrendous people too. And the situation will often arise where someone has um, got too many cats. They are not the right people to have those cats. You can get situations. There have been some 
really, really, really awful situations where it's been like a hoarding situation. And hoarding is, a, a, you know, it's a mental condition. You, you can, you know, laugh and joke and say that person's a hoarder. But if you've actually met someone who actually legit is a hoarder and has that actual mental condition, you'll understand that it's completely different. And these people, um, when they're animal hoarders especially, they will um, have lots of animals and not be able to let go of them and keep them, but don't recognise the way they're keeping them is not right. So they will have litters of kittens and keep all of the kittens and then let them have litters of kittens and keep all the kittens and the cats will be kept in, you know, way too many cats in small spaces or cats basically living in their own filth. And when I say filth, I mean like you wouldn't even believe. Um, and this goes on because it's just, it's a mental condition for them. So it has happened a lot in the cat fancy and when it happens that then becomes spotlighted by the media if they get hold of it and it just makes us all look like we must be like that. And for a very, very long time, when I never told people that I bred cats. I never told people outside of the cat fancy that I bred cats because of the stigma that is attached to it because of imagery that people see about hoarding situations and, and um, animal welfare situations. So you will be exposed to that the longer that you're a breeder. And what can happen is that when it happens, those animals need help. Those animals need help desperately. And the best people to help them are other breeders because what we can do and what I've done is we have access to people who are waiting to get those types of cats. We have lists of people that are waiting. We have people interested in them on our Facebook pages. We have... Um, people who have our cats who might be looking for another one. So when um, the rescue that I was involved in, the biggest one that I was involved in was several, several years ago, and I think it was 26 cats, 26 cats in total that we had to um, find homes for, and we had to do it really, really quickly. And they were uh, British shorthairs and Scottish foals and Scottish shorthairs, and um, they were in terrible, terrible condition, and they were... Um, feral basically um, untouchable they were all the leftover cats that hasn't sold and and that kind of thing so we um were involved in that and i actually got um i still kept two cats from that two cats from that that we couldn't find homes for and rehabilitated them and it was a long um long and difficult journey and they were never actually that well they did have gut problems their whole life and um ended up being beautiful cats beautiful beautiful cats but they were um, really difficult to um, rehabilitate the thing is though that i did that because it needed to be done and it had to be done and i was the best person to help do that at the time there was a group of us there were the the people that did it were the best people to do it at the time but what's really difficult for me though is that when you get involved in stuff like that that you need to weigh it up because you're weighing up the risk of your cats versus helping those cats and that's where it gets really difficult so whilst we want to help these cats that need us and in this situation they were pedigree cats but it's often domestic cats as well um you know there can be situations of hoarding with domestic cats as well and just wanting to help cats that have no homes um in general the problem is that once you get involved in doing it if you're doing it 
as a one-off thing, that's fine. You can put things in place to keep things separate and be very careful. But it's really hard to be involved in that and breed at the same time. So if you're doing rescue work and taking in cats, maybe taking in a pregnant girl and she has the kittens and you find homes for them or fostering litters of kittens, things like that. What you're doing there is you're opening yourself up to a lot of risk because if these cats are, you know, we don't see a lot of um, illnesses in the cat in our breeding cats that domestic cats might have. We keep them in tip-top condition. We vaccinate them really well. We um, treat them really well, and also we don't let them run around and mix with other cats. So we keep them contained. Um, domestic cats just running around freely. And what you don't want to do is you don't want to bring a litter of kittens, of foster kittens into your home and then suddenly find out that they have something like ringworm. And then that is then transferred to your cats and kittens and then you have a nightmare situation. You don't even want to transfer things like fleas because, again, treating one or two cats is fine, but treating eight, treating 12, treating 30, it's... A, it's, it's crazy especially you've got litters of kittens and things as well so it's really really hard to be involved in both sides of things in a long-term way you can jump in and help when help is needed but um, you can't really be doing it side by side with your breeding there are a few people that do I do know of a couple that do and they tend to do it um, in a very very careful way and it's almost like their breeding cats are completely separated from these um, rescue cats so, you know, that's one way to do it. But I think that's, you know, a lot of, that's a, that'd be a lot of work. And it would have to be something you would have to do really consciously. You would have to make a really conscious effort to keep those cats separate from your cats. So the issue that I, that I have is that aside from, you know, emergency desperate situations of um, rescue where it's my own breed, how do I help where, um, how do I help rescue without rescuing cats basically and there's some things you can do so as a breeder you have access to people who are looking for your type of cat so if there are rescue groups that are set up and there's often breed specific rescue groups more so in dogs than in cats but there definitely is in cats for example, um, in the eastern states of Australia, there's a group called Squishy's Cat Rescue. And Squishy's Cat Rescue focuses on rescuing cats that are more Persian, exotic, British shorthair type of cats. And um, they take in other cats as well, but that's their focus. So um, you could help them if they had um, a breed that you bred. If you bred exotic cats and you saw that they were trying to find a home for a rescue exotic cat, you could share that information to your Facebook page or wherever you, you know, your Instagram or, or whatever, and you could help them find someone who's willing to take that cat on. Because often these cats have health issues as well and they need to be looked after by people who are going to be dedicated to looking after them. So it's very hard to find them a home because they need someone who understands them and is willing to do that. But often the best people that are willing to do that are the people that have had one of those cats in the past and they understand because they've already been through it. So you can help in that way. You can also help, as I touched on before, by donating things. And one of the things that I do is I donate. If I win food that my cats don't eat, because sometimes shows are sponsored by different food brands. Well, they're often sponsored by different food brands. And whilst it's great to win um, that food, 
I am very cautious about taking my cats off the diet that they're on and feeding them something different because it will upset their stomachs and I don't really want to have to do the transition and everything. Sometimes I will try other foods, but very often um, if I win something that I know that I'm not going to feed my cats, I will give it to the rescue group that, that, that I look up, that I spot, um, donate to. If I win, um, I often win a lot of um, kitten formula, but, you know, um, my cats are pretty good at raising their babies, so I don't often need it. And I know normally only need a box or two. And if I have won a lot of that, I will actually take that to my local rescue group as well. And um, anything that I, equipment or stuff that I don't need anymore, bedding I'll take to them as well. Um, I have a beauty salon, I own a beauty salon, so spa. So I have a lot of towels that we go through. So I often I'll donate them as well. Um, just things like that, it's just ways to help. And also I'm really lucky that the rescue group that I um, support has a, um, they have op shops that they have and that's how they fund their operations and they have what they call a chip and snip shop which is a uh, an op shop that's completely dedicated to all the funds that they raise through that op shop go to a program to desex um, domestic um, stray cats or low-income earners cats so they have um, ways of stopping the tide of kittens they're being proactive about it and getting out there and getting these cats desexed through their op shop so when i have things to donate to charity i always take them there i always take them there rather than taking them to one of the big places like good sammy's or um those kind of places i'll take them to the small local chip and snip shop and then i feel like it's it's directly contributing to their programs and i feel really good about that Another thing that I do, and um, I've not really said too much about this, is that my kittens, when I sell my kittens, um, I feel like every kitten that is born should make a contribution back to help those that are not finding homes, that the cats that are unwanted. So what I do is every... Um, I was planning to do it for every kitten I'd make a donation, but what I found has been much easier is I actually do a regular donation um, from my account that I use for my cats and kittens. I do a regular donation to the rescue group that I support. So every um, month there's a um, deposit goes into their account from, from my cat account. And um, that to me is a way of, you know, maybe that's going to help with some food. Maybe that's going to help with some litter for them. It's going to help them in some small way. And during the pandemic, they really struggled. Their donations dried up. Their um, people coming to help dried up. Everything dried up for them and they really struggled. So during the pandemic, I actually put that amount up. And now every month they're getting a little bit more from me. So that to me... I look and I check that and I see at the end of the year, does that add up to about what I was going to donate per kitten? Yes, it does. And I'm happy with that. So for me, I'm helping in other ways. Um, financially, is a great way to help. You know, it, it can make you feel, it makes you feel good. And you know, you're doing something good for those cats and kittens that are unwanted at the same time as you're bringing cats and kittens into the world. So I think of it in kind of balancing the scales and, um, doing some good for, um, you know, cats and kittens that are unwanted. So that's another thing that you can do. But what I want you to know is that if you are going to do anything when you're taking um, cats and kittens in because they need to be rescued, whether it's uh, domestic cats, whether it's stray cats, or whether it's another breeder's cats when another breeder has 
got problems and you need to take them in, you need to quarantine those um, cats and kittens from your cats and kittens because you have no idea what they have, um, you have no idea what they can give your cats and you don't want your cats to be getting sick and having problems that could become lifelong problems just because you wanted to help. And it's a very noble thing to want to help, but you can't put your cats and kittens at risk because of that. So you need to be very, very cautious, very careful and keep everything separate. Now, if you ask any established breeder, pretty much all of us have got, um, you know, we've got all of our pedigree cats, but we've all got other cats as well. Most people have got like a, a, a cat that they've just acquired for some reason. For me, it was the it was the cats from that rescue. Um, I had them for years, and they were the cat. They were Scottish um, shorthairs. They were a different breed to my cats. They didn't have any paperwork. They were just cats that we rescued. Before that, I had my beautiful domestic cat Minky. She was a long-haired um, tortie. She was beautiful as well. And these cats that you have that that we just you know tend to acquire along the way. These cats are um, often just companion cats, obviously, but they can also be shown in the companion section at cat shows. And I showed my beautiful um, torty girl, Minky, I showed her when I first started breeding, and that was a really great way for me to get into um, their cat fancy and into showing as well. So those cats can actually go to shows with you, and that's really fun. And breeders sometimes will... Um, Exhibitors, well, people in the cat fancy will sometimes see a domestic cat that's in a situation that needs help and think, oh, that'd be a great cat to take to show. So it's kind of a way that these cats can find an extra home. So that's kind of cool as well. So if you are in the cat fancy long enough, you will come across situations that are really, really confronting and um, you will see photos and you will see videos of things and you will think, oh my God, I can't believe that people could keep animals like that. It will shock you to your core. It is horrendous, but you need to be prepared for that. Um, it will absolutely pull at your heart. Um, and often it's in places where we can't help. So the example I can think of is there was one in um, Queensland, I think it was, and the situation was awful, awful, awful. And I actually had a friend who knew that this particular breeder had one of her cats and she could not find out what happened to this cat. She saw it in the video that was taken of this house. Um, she saw it amongst all the filth. She saw this cat that she knew was hers and she'd bred and she'd sold to this person as a breeding cat and she could not get that cat back. It went into the rescue situation and all we could hope for was that the person that ended up with that cat has given it a loving home. Um, so situations like that are just absolutely awful. Um, and I just wanted to warn you as a new breeder that, that you're going to be exposed to that at some point. You may have already seen stuff like that and that it's really, really small percentage, really small percentage of our hobby that's like that. Um, and unfortunately it does reflect on all of us, but the only thing we can do and what I've learned to do now, which has taken me years to get to this point, is to embrace the fact that I breed cats, be proud of the fact that I breed cats and get out there and show people what it's actually like when people are good breeders, that um, you know our cats are well kept, um, our cats are well cared for. We um, share videos and photos of them in beautiful um, clean surroundings, um, you know, show people what the reality of cat breeding is so that we can counteract that negative image. So that's just some thoughts for you on rescue and um, being in the cat fancy and how that applies to us. I hope you got something out of it. 
Thanks for listening to the Cap Reading for Beginners podcast. Make sure you visit my website at capreadingforbeginners.com for lots more information. You can sign up to my email list and stay tuned as my Cap Reading 101 online course is coming soon.